Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. That is Isaiah 117. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I'm Sandra Flack, grateful to be with you today. I hope you enjoyed our June episodes where we focused on our adoptive and foster dads. We have another great guest with us today um, who has a passion for the unborn, for life, and for adoption. But first, please check out these announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And in addition to our amazing support group, I've got some online workshops coming up this month, Wednesday, July 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. I am offering a free Lunch and Learn intro to FASD, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. It's a workshop. Uh, If you are looking to go a little bit deeper than the intro on Thursday, Uh, July 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I have a three-hour deep dive into FASD where I use the FACETS neurobehavioral model. So again, the 20th is at 7 p.m. Eastern. The Lunch and Learn is at 1 p.m. Eastern on the 12th. You do not have to take the Lunch and Learn intro in order to take the three-hour in, and these are not just for parents and caregivers, but for anyone working with your children. If your child has been uh, prenatally exposed to alcohol or other drugs, um, this is an excellent training for not only parents and caregivers, but for anyone working with them. Uh, they're school teachers, special ed teachers, grandparents, babysitters, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, whoever is interacting and working um, with your child or children, um, even if they don't have a diagnosis of an FASD, even if it is just suspected, um, this is such a great teaching tool to help accommodate and support uh, for success uh, our kiddos. So We do offer certificates um, of completion for all of our workshops. And if you are a social worker licensed in New York State, we also offer CEUs as well. So to register for any of these online workshops or to check out any of our available trainings um, that you could take advantage of at some point, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org and just click on 
uh, the button that says training at the top of the page and you will see all of the options there. And of course, we've included a link uh, to the website in the show notes for this episode so you can easily find it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast or follow it, whatever platform you're on, however it works, so that you don't miss a single episode. Uh, we want you to be able to benefit from uh, the support and the, the the teaching and the training and the encouragement and education and inspiration that we offer you here on this podcast. And we want other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to be able to easily find this podcast because we believe um, it is a support uh, for anyone on this unique parenting journey. Okay, now to our guest. I'm so excited to have Herbie Newell with us today. He is the president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services. They're the largest evangelical Christian adoption agency in America. He is also host of The Defender Podcast and an author of Image Bearers, Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. Please welcome Herbie Newell. Hey, Herbie, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks for having us. And uh, like I, I was telling you before we started recording, just so much respect for what you guys are doing and the work that you're doing, connecting needs, and obviously for this podcast, bringing justice to the orphan. Yeah, thank you. It is it is our calling. I know you, you would probably echo the same thing. This is what the Lord has called us to do, and we just want to walk it out in obedience um, and glorify Him. So I, too, grateful for the work that, that you all are doing at Lifeline and um, can't wait for our listeners to hear more. Um, you know, always have admired the work there. Um, and I know you and your wife, Ashley, are parents to three kiddos, not adopted. Um, so many so many times I, I, I interview folks who are adoptive or foster parents, but adoption is something that you are passionate about. So tell us how that came about. What is your why for doing this work? Yeah, so, you know, I think the why for our family in particular is is the gospel hope that is displayed through adoption. And I would even actually go to an area that most people probably wouldn't think about when you think about gospel hope, but not just for a child and not just for an adoptive family, but ultimately for a biological family. And so we entered into this work knowing that if we were going to truly care for the broken, care for those that were in unplanned or crisis situations, uh, that ultimately we couldn't avoid them for the story of the child. And my wife was actually the assistant uh, director of a crisis pregnancy center for many years. Uh, I was an accountant and uh, the Lord turned our dining room table into a place where we would pray for and, and just wrestle in prayer with the Lord for these women that were coming into the center. And the Lord burst in us kind of uh, a conviction. It was if we're really pro-life, if we really want to encourage these women to see these pregnancies to full term, then we have to be pro-woman. We, we've got to come alongside of this woman. We've got to support her. We've got to love her. We've got to help tool her with the resources she needs to be successful if parenting, especially single parenting, is really what's in her future. But we've also got to provide other options to her as well, options of adoption, options of temporary care until she could go through programs or get an education. We, we needed to be able to come alongside and not just see a woman choose life, but ultimately to see her and the life within her flourish. And 
we believed deep in our bones that that was a gospel issue, mm. uh, that the Lord Jesus calls us to be instruments of his justice, of his righteousness, of his grace. And ultimately, uh, you know, we are the mouthpieces of, of gospel reconciliation. And so we see this ministry as not just, you know, an imagery of or analogous of gospel hope towards the believer. We see it as an instrument of gospel reconciliation to vulnerable families, to vulnerable children, uh, and ultimately then to adoptive and foster families as well. And so I'll, I'll, I'll make a long story quick. We, we didn't know what that reality was for our own family. Did it mean we were supposed to adopt? Did it mean that we were supposed to foster? And we have been foster parents throughout our journey. But what the Lord made clear when the role at Lifeline became available is that he was calling our family to invest in the reconciliation, redemption, and discipleship of, of vulnerable families, uh, the care, concern, and support of vulnerable children, uh, the support, education, and strengthening of adoptive and foster families, and and then ultimately a gospel-driven response to orphans around the world who were without hope and needed a support system to be able to thrive uh, in their country of origin, but also potentially through adoption. Hmm, I love that. And I think you just sort of scratched the surface of the work of Lifeline Children's Services. So I'd love to go a little bit deeper in that. Would you Would you be able to break down the different programs that Lifeline yeah. offers? Yeah, so certainly, uh, you know, number one, and we, we would say we have five main pillars of ministry. All of those pillars are ultimately born out of a pro-life Imago Day ethic that God created man and woman, boy and girl in his image. And the first one is, and it's where we started as a ministry. Lifeline grew out of a crisis pregnancy center response in the early 1980s and 1981. And so our very first ministry is our maternity ministry. Uh, we have a housing ministry. Mm. Uh, we have counseling ministry. We have discipleship ministry. Uh, in a sense, we were founded in 1981, not for adoption, but for the discipleship and the walking with a woman who's pregnant to see her through her pregnancy and then to see her thrive on the other side of the postpartum ward. So most people would probably find it interesting because a lot of people think of Lifeline for the adoptions that we provide. Uh but only about 15% of the women that we work with will actually place for adoption. And and that's not because you know, we just don't have that many women choosing adoption. It's because we want to be open to walking this journey with women and helping them. We, we want to provide true ministry to those women. And so that's discipleship, encouragement ministry uh, to vulnerable women. One of the things, too, I would just say is as I go into the next phase, which is adoption, international and domestic adoption, we have social services that are designed for a woman and social services that are designed for a family. And so we don't cross mix. Uh, if we have a social service worker, they either work with women or they work with families or they work with children. And so we want those moms, even if they choose adoption, to have an advocate that's in their corner, that's fighting for them. Um, you know, I, I've laughed that sometimes in our domestic world, you know, the fiercest arguments come between that birth mother social worker and the adoptive social work of the adoptive parent social worker because they're both fighting for the interest of their client, which I think it's healthy. Mm. Um but we do adoption ministry, intercountry, and domestic. 
So we work in all 50 states for both of those helping families who have a desire to not just add to their family through adoption, but who have a desire to minister either to a birth mother or who have a desire to minister to a country. Uh, we see it as a calling, not just to bring a child in your home, but a calling to actually invest in the story of your child, which means in their birth mother or in their, their home country. Uh, kind of third is is our family reunification and foster care programs. And so we want to look holistically at foster care from mm -hmm. the beginning, the middle, and the end. We need more foster families. And so we recruit, train, and get more foster families into the system. We also want to help reunification. And we believe that within the United States, our, our process of reunifying children and families is broken. And so through the local church with a curriculum that we've designed and mentorship we actually are training and equipping families who desire to get their kids out of foster care. And by God's grace, we've seen over an 80% success rate mm. of families who've not just gotten their kids, but they've not seen recidivism. So they've, they've kept their kids and they're, they're functioning in a healthy environment. We also want to help those kids that are aging out uh, and, and realize that the kids that are aging out of our foster care system today will repopulate our foster care system next year. Then our fourth pillar of ministry is our global orphan care. And we do believe that the call of James 127 is not just to the American church, but it's to the global church. And so we want to equip believers around the world to adopt, to foster, and ultimately to help orphans and vulnerable children in their sphere of influence to find job skills and life skills and to be thriving citizens with the hope of the gospel uh, around the world. And so we're equipping churches in 30 different nations to actually adopt, to foster, and to care for kids in their uh, immediate need. And then last but certainly not least is our counseling and education. And what I would tell you, Sandra, is our vision uh, is that ultimately uh, children and their families will be so transformed by the gospel that they in turn will make disciples mm -hmm. of the gospel. And it's a big, hairy, audacious vision. But if we're going to do that, then we've got to train and educate families that are adopting and fostering. If they're going to disciple the hearts of their children, they're going to have to be able to attach to their children. If they're going to really be able to make a difference in the lives of their children, they've got to be able to, to break through uh, some of the trauma and break through some of the, the strongholds that are in that relationship. And so through coaching and counseling and education and tutoring, we're helping families not just to adopt and foster, but hopefully with the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to thrive in doing so in their family and with their children. Wow. You guys are doing so much covering, it seems like, all of the bases. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and get to, to get to learn more about what Lifeline is doing. And, and just out of curiosity, my husband and I adopted a sibling set of four from Ukraine about 14 years ago. So just out of curiosity with all of the things going on in the world, um, I don't assume adoptions are happening from Ukraine at this time. So what's the, what is the climate? What, what's the climate there? Obviously, I'm assuming it's closed, but you can tell us and, and what countries are open if people are interested in an international adoption? Yeah, so certainly the climate right now is very hit and miss in Ukraine. Uh, we have actually seen children that have been uh, released into their adoptive homes during the conflict. Most of these were children that the adjudication process had already begun before Russia invaded Ukraine. 
even as an organization, we've been able to get three such children, um, all three with pretty severe special needs, uh, out of the country into their adoptive homes. Again, those that have continued have been those that, uh, that that were already in front of a judge where the findings had already been made. And so it was just that last process. You know, right now, obviously in Ukraine, the situation is so unstable um, that while they they want to uh, to help the children, especially children and orphans that, that need homes, I would, it's my opinion, I've been doing this for 20 years. I think a lot of people look at response whenever there's natural disaster, whenever there's conflict, whenever they're, you know, uh, for instance, even with Syrian refugees or with the fall of Afghanistan, like how do we help these kids? And I think that's a very natural Christian response. It's a, it's a response that God's put in us to want to really try to help the hurting. Mm-hmm. I would also say that sometimes after disaster, war, those are the worst times to try to interrupt anything within that country. Yeah. The, the the systems are, are destabilized. And so the ability to find out, does that child have living parents? Were they just separated from their parents? Um, you know, is this child truly an orphan? Is this child one that needs to be adopted internationally? Those are all questions are really hard to answer after there's been some type of calamity. And so, you know, uh, when Haiti had the earthquake, you know, uh, a lot of families rushed down and said, we want to adopt from Haiti. I would actually temper people to say, that's not a good time to adopt. That's a good time to support the systems that are there to make sure that kids are getting the stability that they need so that things then can come back and reorganize and say, let's 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 go through this process. Because ultimately, our heart for intercountry adoption, I think any family that adopts is we want to adopt kids that they have no other option. Right except to find a home through intercountry adoption. Um, but to answer the second part of your question, you know, right now where we're standing today, uh, China still has not reopened mm-hmm. from COVID. Uh, I think because that had been the program that it's, had been number one for so long. I do think a lot of folks kind of look at intercountry adoption and say, well, is it still possible to adopt? Right. Uh, and then, of course, certainly with the conflict in Ukraine. But there are a lot of really strong options. And in an encouraging thing, I would say even countries that are doing a really good job, not just with matching, but also with their social services to prepare children to come into adoptive homes. And so a lot of options still exist in Eastern Europe, like Bulgaria uh, and, and Hungary, uh, North Macedonia is a program that we've just opened. Uh, they have a lot of uh, children that are available that they want to get into adoptive homes. I think certainly with Latin America, there's still a lot of really strong options like Colombia. Uh, Brazil is a harder, longer process, but they're one with a lot of children that need permanent homes. Peru, uh, I would say Ecuador. Uh, you also have uh, the Dominican Republic, which is a little bit longer. And then one that a lot of people don't know about, which is a very strong program, is Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a very uh, strong intercountry adoption program. And then, of course, still in Asia, uh, I would say uh, the Philippines has a, a very strong program. Taiwan right now has a very strong program, as well as Hong Kong. Uh, even though they're an administrative district of China, Hong Kong is still processing adoptions there and have a very stable system. And there's some other programs as well. You know, certainly I know folks say, well, the the continent you've not said is Africa. Mm. And, you know, what I would say, Sandra, is why I do think there are some children that that intercountry adoption would be best for them in the country of Africa. Um, As of late, I have not found a system in Africa that has the stability to be able to adjudicate the process in a way that gives assurance um, that that wholesale there are children that need that need Mm. adoptive homes. 
So as certainly there are one-offs and there are situations that come to the the, the table. But at, at today, I, I don't know of a solid program within the comp, continent of Africa that I would say, hey, there is a there's a need that needs to be met that's bigger than one or two children. Hmm. So interesting. Thank you for the update because we haven't, I think, post-COVID really even thought about, at least I haven't, like what's going on in international, the international adoption world. So thank you for that update. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you, because as an adoptive mom, I understand the importance of counseling and support and being trauma informed and equipped. So would you share a little bit more about the what Lifeline offers um, for the, 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 the training, the resources and the supports for your foster and adoptive families? Yeah, so we believe any key to post-adoption support is good pre-adoption and foster care education. And so uh, at this point, all of our trainers, uh, you know, I think of our social service staff, I believe uh, 75% are TBRI trained or informed at this point. Excellent. Um, um, You know, the other 25% have been educated. They just haven't gotten the actual training and certification yet. Um, You know, one of the things that we believe is, is, we, we're doing training, and so we have something we call Rooted in Love, which is for foster and adoptive families. It's an intensive training. Uh, there's online component to it, and then there's an in-person component that is in a group setting to, to train, to equip. Uh, but outside of just face-to-face education in either a group setting or individual setting, we believe that part of the process of the home study and the home assessment, all of that is preparation. And so I would encourage any family that wants to foster or adopt. Sometimes you look at that assessment process and you go, why can't it just be quicker? You know, why can't it just be streamlined? That whole process is rigged in such a way, at least the way we do it, that we're training and equipping you along the way, because this is a, this is a big life step. It's a, it's a big family altering life step that you need to be prepared for. And and scripturally, you know, Jesus said, if a man is going to go build a house, he needs to count the cost and make the preparations. And we want to help families make those preparations. Uh, You know, one of the the strong comments I remember Russell Moore said one time when I heard him speak is he said, James 127 is a command for all believers to care for uh, widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained for the world. However, adoption is not a command. Foster care is not a command for all believers. We're all commanded to care. We're not all commanded to, uh, to, to, to adopt. And I would liken that to we're all commanded to share the gospel. We're not all commanded to go overseas and be missionaries. And so we want to prepare in the same way we wouldn't send a missionary to another country without doing language training and cultural training and and helping them adjust as a family. We believe through adoption and foster care, the best education we can do is prepare you. However, we also understand it's human nature. We don't consume everything on the front end. Sometimes we, you know, we have people that are experiential learners and then of course it's human nature to go, yeah, but that won't be me. <laughs> and so on the backside, we also want to provide support education. So we uh, have counselors right now in seven states, bricks and mortar. Uh, we are working on a, a biblical counseling network where we are working with biblical counselors who are coming into our headquarters here in Birmingham and we're training them to be trauma informed. We're training them on adoption and foster care issues so that they can take that back in their practice I believe with that network, we can refer now people in over 21 states uh, to to find trauma-competent adoption and foster care-informed counsel that's face-to-face. 
the other thing that we're providing is family coaching. So a lot of times, unfortunately, people think therapy and counseling means that that I've messed up. Mm-hmm. It's it's the last it's the last straw. For whatever reason, someone will take a coach, and so we've got coaching, and we can provide that in all fifty states. It's either face to face or online. And just to talk through maybe issues that a family's having or maybe a child's having to do some coaching and do some prepping to give some resources to those families. And then third is, is our tutoring and our what we call our bridge education services. And a lot of the issues that we're finding is families are having issues at home, but they don't raise their hand to say their issues until it starts to present itself in the classroom, either through homeschool or through uh, public or private school education. And we want to press in and help those children be able to do well in school or in homeschool with IEPs. We want to tutor them. But that's also a a barometer for us to be able to lean in and help that family on other issues that may be happening. And so certainly there's a lot more there with listening therapy, with TheraPlay, with other modalities that we are, are using. The big you know, tip of the spear, however, is we want families and children to thrive mm. in these homes. And we want to see these homes last. And so we're doing everything on the pre and the post side to really be able to lean in and wrap around families to to help them, again, be able to reach the heart of their children. Yeah, I love that because as a parent who, we, my husband and I had three biological children and then we welcomed into our family a relative, right? So it was a kinship placement, but she hadn't been, she was eight years old at the time. She's in her thirties now, um, but hadn't been in foster care. So we welcomed her into our family, but we had zero training. There was no preparation. So of course we went in with the assumption that, well, we're parents, we know how to do this, right? And we had no trauma understanding, none of that. And it was really, really hard. And I'd like to say that I learned as I went, but I, I didn't. I did all the we we did all the wrong things because we didn't know. We didn't understand. And it wasn't until we brought home all of our internationally adopted kids, which still we had no formal training because we used an out of state um, adoption agency, which is no longer it was stripped of its license about the time we were flying home with our kids from Ukraine, actually. But um, so we had nothing. And it was after bringing them home, realizing we need some help here, I found um, you know, I feel like it was a, you know, that God moment where I, I found a copy of Dr. Karen Purvis's The Connected Child, right? And that is what got us on the journey of learning TBRI and all the connected parenting things. But also, um, again, we have five adopted kids. Our, our youngest two who are teenagers now are both diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. Uh, and and they got that diagnosis and from a developmental pediatrician. And we were basically told, you might want to focus on life skills. Have a nice day. So this was this oh. was several years ago, to over ten years ago, and we didn't know what we didn't know. We were just learning the connected parenting stuff, and I went online and did that. You know, you look up stuff online and you find all the scary mm-hmm. stuff. So back then it was very scary uh, what I learned about fetal alcohol syndrome, and I did one of those. That's not going to happen to us. You know, that's that's so scary. So. The connected parenting, because we didn't do TBR, we, it was TBRI, right? But we we went into the empower to connect stuff, right? So we were doing the conferences and the simulcasts, and then my husband and I became empowered to connect parent trainers. So we were that's the that's the avenue that we came to that, um, and that was all working wonderfully until 
our boys became teenagers and the train was going off the tracks. And we realized mm. we need to look at the one thing here we don't really know that much about uh, is, is the fetal yeah. alcohol spectrum disorder stuff. So that put me on a path to learning everything that I could. And then I got formal training not only to help our kids, but to help our listeners on this podcast and the families that we're interacting with here through our um, through all the services that our, our nonprofit provides. And the more I learned, the more I realized most adoptive foster and kinship caregivers are dealing with this, but they don't know. And they're not equipped. Right. And it's not getting diagnosed or it's misdiagnosed. So... Um, what it, out of all of the wonderful training that you're providing, is there anything that you are offering that's FASD specific? Um, anything you have going on there with that? I always ask that question because it's become such a passion of mine. Yeah. So conventionally, not all of our therapists are, are trained uh, on, on the fetal alcohol syndrome spectrum, um, but we do, the majority of them are. And so they have modalities and training um, that they're bringing to bear for or those, those families that do have a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, reactive attachment disorder. Um, you know, we have, we have therapists that have specialties in each um, and there's overlap, but certainly uh, that's one that we're seeing in this day and age, not just from an intercountry perspective, yeah. but also from a domestic yes. perspective as well. You know, and, and the other thing I would just tell families that might not have a diagnosis for their child, but their child has this underlying tension. You know, from a Christian worldview, we have to realize that our children that are coming in their homes through foster and adoption have experienced trauma. If all that trauma was, was being in the womb of a parent that was under high levels of stress and cortisol because they weren't expecting to be pregnant. They don't know what to do. Um, they, they, they potentially have even considered a, abortion. Mm-hmm. Um all of those levels of cortisol do affect that child in the womb. And from a Christian worldview, if we believe that life begins at conception made by the creator, then we have to also understand that life is going to experience that stress and that stress creates trauma. And then two, anytime something happens outside of God's design and a child is taken away from their biological family, and it might be for their own safety, it might be because of, of death or dismemberment, whatever it is, that's also trauma. And so even our children that aren't living with a diagnosis mm-hmm. have experienced yes. trauma. And so that's why I just want to affirm what you said. A lot of families might not know it, but they're living with this underlying trauma yeah. that's within the heart of their child. And those teenage years are the things that usually will tease that out, yeah. right? Because it's the time that from a human development standpoint, we're asking, who am I? How do I belong? Where do I belong? And who, 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 do, who am I supposed to be? And so those adoption and trauma issues can sometimes surface uh, in those teenage years with those hormones raging and the brain developing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the huge amount of brain developments happening. And so we want to equip families to not be surprised, but to be ready to get the tools that they need. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And with our boys, it was, it was you know, we had the attachment, we had the connection, all of that was going well, but then the older they get, the higher, the more that expectation is placed on them, right, to, to perform like their neurotypical peers. But if there's been damage to the brain because of prenatal alcohol exposure, then it becomes more obvious the older that they get because they're not able, they've got executive function challenges, so many things coming into play. And sometimes it's it's hard to know, like, is this from trauma or is this from the prenatal alcohol exposure, which is a trauma, right? It was just, it was a prenatal trauma, but the, 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 
it literally changes the structure and function of the brain as the brain is developing. So what is what is, you know, what's going on, which thing is going on here. A lot of times it's both interwoven, but to be able to really understand the brain, how the brain was impacted, and then how we can support um, an individual who essentially has a brain injury. It's just invisible because nobody can see it because they don't look like they have that disability. So um, I'm grateful that you have staff that has some training in that that's so super important. Um, Let's pivot a little bit because I know you have a passion too for the unborn. You touched on that a little bit in the beginning. Um, and, and I totally agree because I have often said, yes, we have to be pro-life, but we also have to be pro-birth, right? Like what's going to happen right. when mom chooses life, but yet she's unable to parent or maybe she could parent, but she needs a lot of support. The church can't back out after the baby's born, right? So so share with us your heart and passion on that. Yeah. And so, you know, even as I started, you know, I, our heart and passion as a family certainly started with the pro-life crisis pregnancy space and advocating for women, advocating for children to be born. You know, but I think where we have wrote, woefully sometimes missed it as a pro-life movement is, is that you know, we're pro-life because we want to see life flourish. Um, you know, that, that is the, that's the great command after the garden is how do we put sin back in its place? And how do we, as Jesus prays in the Lord prayer, help the Lord's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so while we know that this earth will never be perfect, it's always going to be riddled with sin. We're always supposed to be about the reconciliation of Christ. And so we want to look at a young lady Look at a young man and a young lady who might be going through a crisis or, or unexpected pregnancy. And we want to we want to advocate for them. Um, we want to make sure they know they have lots of life giving choices. But we also want to connect them to people that are going to help them thrive. You know, one of the things that we tell people all the time in the pro-life space. Is we look at these moms and these dads and we see their poverty. And their poverty that we usually look at is their physical poverty. Well, how are they going to make it? How are they going to afford it? The, the poverty that we see from most of the population we work with is a relational poverty mm -hmm. and their financial poverty is just a symptom, is just a symptom of their relational poverty. It doesn't mean they don't have relationships, but the relationships they do have are not typically positive life-giving relationships, relationships that are, they're spurring them on to the Lord's best in their life. They're not relationships that typically are, are helping them uh, to do the right thing, to make the right choices. You know, I even give this analogy to people that to help them understand, especially people who've lived, you know, with without relational poverty. You know, if I lost my job today, uh, I have a, a litany of people that I would call that would support me. I have a litany of people that I would call that would also help me find that next job, help me find that next opportunity so that I can support my family. However, we're working with a population in the pro-life community that are coming and they're relational, relationally impoverished, they're underemployed. And if they lose that job, they don't know where else to turn. And so we, we've got to come around as the church and God's people and say, yes, we want to see a baby be born. And, and, and that's, that's a command. We have to see those babies born. We have to advocate for the voiceless. We have to advocate mm -hmm. for those, those image bears inside of mama's womb that cannot speak for themselves. But we also have to be as concerned about their flourishing. We have to also be as concerned about 
about what is life going to look like outside of the womb. And while we can't make it perfect, we need to come and and wrap around that mom and that child so they have the best opportunity to thrive and have the best opportunity to flourish uh, that's available. And that, to me, is a holistic pro-life where we start with advocacy, to me, with teenagers. And and I know it's old fashioned, but I think pro-life ministry needs to go back to the basics of abstinence education and family based education and and stop giving up on our kids saying they can't make hard choices and that they can't overcome emotions and feelings and desires. We've got to teach and train our children. And it starts with Christian families teaching and training our children about the, the beauty of a sexual ethic, that that it's a fire that's beautiful in the fireplace, but it can burn your house down out of the the inappropriate place. We've got to put a sexual ethic back where it belongs. That's pro-life ministry. But then when these women and these men stumble, when they make decisions and they become pregnant, we've got to advocate them, in in my opinion, from the moment they, uh, they determine pregnancy all the way until we can find them to a space where they can flourish with their child, or with making a responsible decision for their child. Yeah, the church wrapping around, right? Wrapping around the mom and the family, the baby. Love that. Uh, You've written a book on this subject, Image Bearers Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. Tell us about your book. Yeah, so, you know, we wrote the book before 2020, um, right before the pandemic swept. And then, of course, before 2022 and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But the whole premise of the book was pretty much what I just said, you know, We don't, as pro-life people, want to just advocate for life, but we want to advocate for life outside the womb, too. And the whole idea was, if we want to see the overturn of Roe, not just at the Supreme Court, but in the hearts and the minds of people, then we've got to start showing that we care for life in and outside of the womb. And so a lot of the topics that it it uh, you know covered was reclaiming the family. What does it look like to to be families that are invested? Uh, you know, talking about even the distraction of the modern family today. Mm. Uh, you know, we rarely sit down any longer and have family meals together. Uh, we we are so distracted by activity, by technology, by entertainment that we're not investing in one another relationally, eyeball to eyeball, you know, face to face. It talks obviously about abortion, the atrocities of abortion, uh, even going back to the eugenics movement of Margaret Sanger, where it was the selection of species, the, you know, the survival of the fittest, even as such that she had this idea. Um, and so talk about race in the sight of God that, um, you know, race was created by God and for God, and it, it, it displays his glory and his grandeur and all of these, you know, immigrant and, and, and elder care, when we're pro-life in all of these spaces, then we begin to win the real battle for people's hearts. Mm. It's not just their vote and it's not just what happens at the Supreme Court. Now we said that's important, crucial. But the real battle is going to be won in the hearts and the minds of, of the people to help them understand what a true pro-life ethic is. And then obviously incomparated by it, we're image bearers to bear the image of Christ to a world that desperately needs them. Mm, love that. Where can our listeners grab a copy if they're interested? Yeah. So if, if you're interested, uh, the easiest place to get it is going to be on Amazon.com. Uh, if you do not want to support uh, Amazon.com, you can always go to our <laughs> website at lifelinechild.org. Uh, search for image bears and you can order it straight from us. Uh, I will confess most of our books are being printed by Amazon. So it's easier just to. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll put a link to Lifeline in the show notes for the uh, this episode anyway. So our listeners can do, can do either. You also have a podcast, the Defender podcast. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so about six years ago, we started the Defender podcast, uh, really just to equip the Saints to say, here's how we can be defenders of life. Uh, so we tackle a lot of different subjects, really along the whole spectrum of life, from uh, being pro-life and pro-birth, uh, to advocating for women and, and, and life in the womb, to advocating for orphans and vulnerable children. And so it's a mixture of, of, of formats where at times Dr. Rick and I will take a topic and discuss it amongst ourselves and, and kind of draw from resources that, that we've read or great resources pointing them to great organizations that we know. And then at other times we'll bring in uh, testimonials of, of families that, that the Lord has used in an incredible way, either through adoption, foster care, orphan care. And then of course, bringing on folks like yourself that that are experts in their field that can really just help our families. So the Defender podcast is for any family uh, that's walking through the journey, but it's also for those families that say, hey, I want to I want to walk out James 127, but I don't know how to do it and I don't know what it means. And so we want to help people really explore, hey, this is what it looks like to visit orphans and widows in the distress, to take care of when it's not a call to adoption and foster care, here are all the ways that you can really be invested in defending the fatherless. Oh, love it. Love that. I'm an avid podcast listener. So where, uh, what platforms is your podcast on? The podcast is on any platform that you get your other podcasts. We're on every major platform, obviously Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you can find us. And so uh, our podcatcher sends it to all of the all of the places or our, our systems is at all of your podcatchers. Uh, to be able to listen to it. And then again, lifelinechild.org, you can also find a direct link to, uh, the, to the original source files as well. Love it. The, Def- the Defender podcast. So our listeners, I hope you check it out. Um, our listeners are primarily adoptive foster kinship caregivers. So they're already in this space caring for kiddos. So Herbie, as we wrap up, um, would you offer some encouragement, some advice to our, our listeners? Yeah, I I would say to the bewildered mom and dad, to the tired mom and dad, to the mom and dad who maybe they're thriving and uh, you don't know what might be around the corner. uh, Know this, that our great God equips those that he calls Mm -hmm. um, and he is also available. And so the great thing about our great God is he is not just uh, a sovereign. um, He's not just a creator. He's not just a sustainer, but he's our father. And we can cry out to him. He can take our pain. He can take our hurt. He can take our frustration. He can take our confusion. And he is not a God of confusion, hurt, or pain. And he is a God of restoration. And so I would just pray, fall into the arms of Jesus. He knows what you're going through better than anyone else. He knows the the hairs on your head and he will protect you. He will keep you. I would encourage you, go read Psalm 146. It's a great Psalm about doing justice, but right in the middle of, of all the things the Lord says, it says the Lord loves the righteous. And if you look at that word righteous, it's the one that's seeking to do his will. And so beloved foster parent, adopted parent, you have sought to do God's will by bringing these beautiful children in your home. Know that the Lord loves you. He fights for you. He defends you. Rest in him. Times are hard. Times are difficult. We were never promised a life without suffering. The calls that the Lord puts on our life, it's not a call of a primrose path. It's a call of, of duty 
of hardship, of difficulty, but we have a God who has endured everything on our behalf, not just for our salvation, but ultimately to hold us in the midst of his calling. And so stay strong, be firm in the Lord, keep your eyes firmly focused on him and know that he will carry you through this storm. Mm, Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that word of encouragement. Thank you for all that you and and your whole team at Lifeline are doing on behalf of the unborn and vulnerable children. And Herbie, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, Sandra, thank you for having us. And like I said, I hope to have you on the Defender podcast. And we're great for all the things that you're doing through this podcast and also through your ministry. Thank you so much. Wow. And thank you all for listening to the Adoption and Foster Care journey today. I hope you were inspired by Herbie's passion for the unborn um, and, and for life and just for about all of the things that Lifeline is doing. And of course, the amazing words of encouragement he offered to us at the end there. And and I hope you will take time. I know I'm going to go, I'm going to go out and read Psalm 146, because I always can certainly use encouragement for my parenting journey as well. Um, and we will include a link to Lifeline Children's Services in the show notes for this episode so that you can learn more. Make sure you check out Herbie's book, uh, The Defender Podcast. I'm going to be adding that one to my lineup um, and just so encouraged myself today. I hope you were too. And in addition to inspiring you, we always love to equip you here um, at the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast along with our um, our parent ministry, Justice for Orphans, JFO. If you would like to learn more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which affects a disproportionate number of children in child welfare, we talked about it a little bit here. If you are parenting a child adopted internationally, domestically, through foster care, or even kinship, um, if there was any kind of suspected or known drug or alcohol use, um, it is it is highly likely you are parenting a child who was prenatally exposed to alcohol, most of the time they don't get a diagnosis or at least not an accurate diagnosis. uh, And there's just not understanding, but then parents are dealing with these behaviors that they're really struggling with and trying to sort it all out. Just like that's, that's what was going on at my house, right? A number of years ago, I knew about the trauma piece. I knew my child actually did have a diagnosis of FASD but I had no idea what that meant. So there will come a time, if you're not struggling yet, it's very likely if your child was prenatally exposed, there will come a time when it begins to rear up, you know, rear its ugly face, so to speak, and um, its ugly head, I should say. And you're gonna be dealing with behaviors that you're gonna, you're gonna wanna be trying to fix, like that's what we were doing, and realizing what is really going on here and when you begin to learn about the impact that alcohol has on a developing brain in utero and how it literally changes the structure and the function of the brain and it causes, I don't want to say brain damage, although some people out there in this space would use that terminology. It is one way to look at it, um, but it does impact the brain and then impacts the way the child learns and interacts. And there's so many symptoms. And when those symptoms, those primary symptoms of FASD are not adequately accommodated for and supported, then we begin to see those bigger behaviors, 
right? So we want to educate you on that. So I'm a firm believer every adoptive foster and kinship parent should not only be trauma-informed, but FASD-informed. And you can get that um, information, you can get equipped uh, through the trainings and things that we have available on our website. Um, I teach the neurobehavioral model, so it's a brain-based approach, which marries very nicely with TBRI. So if you're used to doing the connected parenting stuff, I still use all those TBRI techniques, but that wasn't quite enough because of the impairment that alcohol caused uh, on our kiddos. We needed that brain-based approach, but they really do go hand in hand. Check out our online workshops that we have available on our website at justicefororphansny.org. Again, there is a link in the, in, uh, the show notes for this show so that you can go easily there to find out more about it. If you are interested in booking an in-person or online uh, workshop, I can come. I travel. I will be in Atlanta in September to teach um, and do a workshop. I will be going to Oklahoma City to be doing a coaching um, table at CAFO. Uh, this is what I do. This is what I'm passionate about. So if you are interested in this training for your support group or your group or your agency or um, the families that you interact with or just for you yourself, you want a coaching call where we can walk through um, some of these things and, and learn more. Um, you can reach out through our website. You can even email me directly. My email is Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. Remember our support group, Hope for the FASD Journey. It's an online support community. We would love to have you there. It's the only faith-based, FASD-focused online support community in the world that I know of, unless there's another one. I'd like to know about that, but I don't think there is. And the mamas and the and occasionally the dads that hop on for our support group call meetings, um, we are just uh, equipping each other, encouraging each other, praying for one another, supporting one another. Um, and it's amazing. We'd love to have you be a part of that. So make sure you check that out. Again, please subscribe or follow this podcast so that you can continue to have this encouragement and be equipped as well as your as your friends. Share it with your friends. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. I'm on both platforms as well at Sandra Flack. And again, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.